Good morning. It's not unusual for me to get up very early in the morning to write. Uh, this week was no exception, except my talk was pretty much done by Wednesday, and then everything changed. We all watched in horror this week as the U.S. Capitol was overrun by violence. Mitch McConnell, the Republican Majority Leader of the Senate, accurately described this atrocity in the harshest terms, calling it an insurrection. As I watched the deplorable and reprehensible events unfold on live TV, I kept asking myself, how did we get here? What has gone wrong? And I ask this question this morning in our community of faith, not because it's my place to give anyone a civics lesson, but because I see a strong parallel between how our nation has gotten to this point and the mission that God has given Storyline. Now obviously this is a very serious moment, so I'm going to ask for your forgiveness and understanding as we watch a montage right now from an episode of Seinfeld called Festivus. It was and it is of course funny, but that's not why I'm showing it. It, it gets at some very important issues that I think might help us to see how we got here and how it relates to Storyline's mission. What? Nothing, it's a card from my dad. Dear son, happy Festivus? What is Festivus? It's nothing, it's nothing. When George was growing Jerry, up, no. his father no. hated all the commercial and religious aspects of Christmas, yeah. so he made up his own holiday. Oh. I'm out of here. Happy Festivus. It's Festivus. When George was growing up, no. his father... It's nothing. It's, nothing. it's a stupid holiday my father invented. It, it, it doesn't exist. Happy Festivus, Georgie. Ah! A new holiday was born. A Festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> and at the Festivus dinner, you gather your family around and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past year. And is there a tree? No, instead there's a pole. Requires no decoration. I find tinsel distracting. Is that the pole? George, Festivus is your heritage. It's part of who you are. That's why I hate it. Read that poem. I can't read it. I need my glasses. You don't need glasses. You're just weak. You're weak. Leave him alone! I find your belief system fascinating. <laughs> it's a Festivus miracle. Welcome, newcomers. <laughs> the tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're gonna hear about it. You, Kruger, my son tells me your company stinks. Frank, no offense, but this holiday's a little out there. Kramer, you, you can't go. Who's gonna do the feats of strength? How about George? Now that is funny for a sitcom. Not so much in real life. You know, at one point, George's father says, for those who object to the holidays most enjoy, there is Festivus for the rest of us. And how does this holiday begin? With the airing of grievances. Now, if you ask me to sum up how our country got here, I would say something like, we take our own grievances much too seriously and dismiss others much too easily. This 
is human nature writ large. The in crowd does a really poor job of understanding the grievances of those who are out. For those whom the system is working, protests seem ridiculous. And for those who believe something was stolen from them, riots are overlooked. You know, Thursday morning, there were already excuses being offered for absolutely inexcusable actions the night before. I believe that our mission actually gets at the heart of the matter of what's going on in all of this. You see, Storyline exists because we have a deep sensitivity to the grievances of those who don't feel like they can't, don't, or won't belong in church. And the objections, questions, obstacles, and doubts that make them feel that way. We have come together to do our very best to pause, even to set aside what was largely working for us, the dress up, show up, sing, sit, kneel, cradle to grave church, in order to really try to listen to those on the outside, those who don't belong and don't want to. To hear what they are saying about God and faith and church and us. Now, if you've been a part of Storyline, you know that we aren't always very good at that because part of that is it's just not very easy to do. I mean, for example, the grievances are sometimes unfair. They can be hurtful and at times they misrepresent. I know the faith that I have and the God that I know and the church and the church goers who I love. And to be totally honest, sometimes hearing these grievances is just excruciating because they hit a little too close to home. My friend Christy sent me this quote by sociologist Norbert Elias. I think it gets at one such grievance. Here's what he said. The established majority takes its we image from a minority of its best and then shapes a they image of the despised outsiders from the minority of their worst. Don't you feel like the other side does that to yours? I know I do. Here's what Elias is saying. Your side, my side, we do that to them too. And I have to admit with shame that, that I am guilty of this. I see my side through rose-colored glasses. I do it all the time. And then I paint the other side in the worst possible light. Like my challenges are hard and complicated and, and theirs are simple and easy. Like our, our traditions are helpful. Theirs are hurtful. My responses, they're thoughtful. Their responses are knee-jerk and immature. Now, I wish I was only describing how I see the difference between my beloved Lakeshore Lancers and the evil St. Joe Bears, but tragically, I take this attitude, this, this posture, and this stance into other very real parts of real life. You know, of course, there are other uh, reasons that it's hard to listen to grievances. I mean, especially without correcting or demanding equal time. To do so can look like it can feel like you're excusing or even agreeing with the grievances. To sit and listen to, to really try to understand where those who feel excluded or those who opt out or are grossed out by our view or our country or our faith puts us in what feels like 
a no-win situation. Which is, I suppose, why so few people do it. And maybe why those who try don't do it well. And it's why in moments like this, where we see the fragility of what we often take for granted, like our very way of life, that I once again turn to Jesus in awe and admiration. You know, it's one thing to sit and listen to fair objections and questions. It's another, as Jesus did, to seek them out. And yet another, to sit in silence when unfair and unjust accusations are made against you or someone you love. And then to ultimately do what Jesus did, accept the consequences of those grievances and to die for those who hate him because he loves them. It is truly astounding what Jesus did. It takes tremendous strength, love, and grace to do this, to start from the perspective of those who feel excluded, unheard, cast aside, left behind, and left out. When the status quo is working for you, be it economically, educationally, religiously, or politically, the airing, the airing of grievances is an occasion for eye-rolling, like at best, if not just dismissal and derision. But it wasn't like that for Jesus. This is a critical time for us to remember that is not how Jesus lived his life. It is not why Jesus came to earth to reward the good guys, to pat those who get it right on the back. He came to seek and save those who have grievances. And it's his life, death, and resurrection that serve as our source and our goal, the inspiration and the very purpose and mission of this community that he has called us together to cultivate. Storyline is not our idea. It's not our big grand scheme. It's God's dream that we are attempting so very imperfectly to live in and to live out to go to the left out, the left behind, the excluded, the conscientious objectors, to the aggrieved and listen in love. Now, I don't think I have ever written a talk for Storyline that wasn't inspired by this mission, this singular focus. What do those who don't believe, who don't belong, who are aggrieved by faith, the church, God, or even life itself, what do they think or believe about this topic, our gatherings, what we're doing right now in this online version are our limited and stunted attempt to take all of that seriously, to, to love everyone as they are, where they are. Now, as much criticism as we receive for proceeding this way, as clumsily as I fumble this cause every week, we have found together that there is no better way to celebrate the faith, to celebrate faith in the grace of God and to glorify God than to try and live out his love for all mankind, beginning with those who believe they don't belong, with those who have honest doubts, good questions, and even with and for those with unfair and unjust grievances. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we're good at that. <laughs> I'm saying this is what we're hoping and praying for together. And the miraculous thing is, attempting to start with the grievances and the questions that real people really have, we have learned so much. 
we've learned a lot about love and a lot about ourselves. We've learned that we not only love the aggrieved, but we often agree with them. That we not only have a message for them, but that God has a message for us through them. And that often, in their honesty, in their honest grievance, they are speaking for us with clarity, courage, and passion that maybe we haven't felt like we're free to share from inside the faith. Look, when we're ignored or patronized or derided by a parent or boss, a politician or preacher, when, when someone glosses over our objections or pontificates from a position of authority about what is and isn't so, we resent it. We harden in turn away and walk away with more grievances than we have before. I know I do. As a nation, we have done this to one another. This country is divided because half of us resonate with this list of grievances and then dismiss these. And for the other half, it's the other way around. Now, I am not equating one side with the other. I promise you I'm not. I'm just pointing out the principle that we often take our own grievances very seriously and dismiss others very easily. Listening to the airing of grievances, seeking to truly understand how and why so many people can be so upset is not excusing lawlessness. It is not even tacit agreement. But it is what the beginning of love looks like. It is not all that love looks like, but this is often where love and healing begin. Until Wednesday night, my talk this week was going to be faith under tension. Oh, it's going to be so good. And I was going to extend on this theme from last week that you may recall of time under tension can build us back better. And we were just going to ask this question, how? And my suggestion was going to be when we approach tension and face it with faith. Now, my friend Brian would say, why does it take you 30 minutes to say all that? You just said it. Just do that. And I, sp I suppose he has a point. And so I apologize. But I really do think that there's one illustration from that talk that may help us here. Because if you're like me, then we have a grievance with the airing of grievances. <laughs> so keeping with God's calling on our community, let's start there. Let's just address it. Our grievance with grievances. It's partially at least, and the list is long of why we might have a grievance about grievance, but it's partially at least, or it goes something like this. What the heck do you do when the grievance is just wrong? Like, the grievances are inaccurate or harmful even. What if, God forbid, I know this is hard to believe, but the grievance is with me? Well, here again, I believe the genius of Jesus shows us the way. This is my friend, my little buddy, Bo Knapp. So cute, right? He is the son of Paul and Allie. L look at them. I mean, except for dad, that is a really good-looking family. I love this little boy, and my goodness, so do his parents. He is delightful, curious, brilliant, and like all parents know, he has another side too. You see, once in a while, Paul and Allie have a, have a little problem with Bo. Now, they call them tantrums. 
I love this picture, right? Now that is real life. Look, mom is delighted, dad is exasperated, and Bo, well, that's not a tantrum, people. He is airing a grievance. A common time for grievance for Bo is brushing his teeth. Now, Bo doesn't like it. He objects. Now, what are Paul and Allie to do? They have this big grievance about Bo's grievance because, well, Bo is just wrong. And in the end, his grievance cannot be tolerated because if Bo doesn't brush his teeth, if he gets this wrong, it will have a massively detrimental impact on his future, not to mention their dental bill. So the, objection, the question really becomes, what does love look like when grievances are unfair, wrong, or detrimental? Well, here again is the genius of Jesus and the beauty of grace because I get to answer this all-important question this way. I don't know. I have a deep suspicion that the very nature of love means that it looks different every day with every person in each and every situation. But I don't know what love looks like for Paul and Allie in this situation. What I do know is that Bo has to brush his teeth. I also know that at this point in his life, he isn't going to understand why even after airing his grievances. And the third thing I know is that Paul and Allie can never, ever, ever give up on Bo because of that. Love will not allow them to write him off, dismiss him, or walk away. The only answer to the question is love. They must love him. And love never gives up. Love finds a way. Love never fails. Now ultimately, I think what's going to happen is the way forward is going to be for Paul and Allie's love to nurture faith in Bo. Now, here's, here's what I mean, because I think this is so important of how do we handle it when the grievances are just wrong. There is a fascinating passage in the Bible where Jesus visits a town and nothing much really happens. And then this incredible line. The Bible says, because of their unbelief, Jesus couldn't, do any miracles among them. Now soak that in for a second. So here's the deal. Often for love to take hold, for it to do its miraculous work in others, they have to trust us. They have to have faith in us first. Not in the truth that we're trying to teach them. Or not to trust or have faith in the faith that we're trying to give them. First, they have to have faith in us. This means that nurturing their faith in us is the beginning of love. C.S. Lewis gets at this brilliantly. This is what he said. There are times when we can do all that a fellow creature needs if only he will trust us. In getting a dog out of a trap, and extracting a thorn from a child's finger, the one fatal obstacle may be their distrust. We are asking them to trust us in the teeth of their sense, their imagination, and their intelligence. We ask them to believe what is painful will relieve their pain, and that what looks dangerous 
is their only safety. We ask them to accept apparent impossibilities that moving the paw farther back into the trap is the only way to get it out. That hurting the finger very much more will stop the finger hurting. That brushing your teeth is good for you. To support all of these unbelievable claims, we can rely only on the other party's faith in us. Sometimes, because of their unbelief, we can do no mighty works. So good. See, in the end, I think this is why the holy day, like Festivus for the rest of us, begins with the airing of grievances. Because this is what it's about. It's the beginning of what love looks like. Because it begins to build this trust that the listener really does care about us, that they love us enough to listen, to truly seek to understand. God gets this. We often don't. I mean, read the Psalms, for example, and you'll find that the first half of many Psalms are people complaining about, like airing their grievances against, wait for it, God. And do you know what God does about it? He listens. The question before us as a community of faith in the grace of God is what will we have to do? What are we willing to do? What do we get to do? Who do we need to be? Who do we need to become? For those who are aggrieved to trust that we have their best interest at heart, that we truly love them. That is the high bar of love. It is living in such a way that we build their faith in us. And the only way to do that is through love and grace. And look what that does. By living like that, we're actually embodying the very message that we want them to have faith in. Do you see it? I mean, the beauty and the brilliance of the gospel of grace. We are making the unbelievable claims of God's grace believable through our gracious lives or not. For Jesus, on his mission, this meant laying down his life because Jesus is love and love never gives up. Love finds a way. Love pays the price, which is the only reason why the Bible can say that true love never fails. Now, if you're hearing this, as I am, like, this is crazy. It's too far. This is too much. It's too high of a price to pay. Then you're hearing me right. Our country came into existence and only continues to exist because over a million Americans now have given their life the last full measure of their devotion to make it so. These men and women died for us. Our world exists. You and I exist by and for Jesus's self-giving, self-sacrificial love because he died for us and for the people who died for us. I pray that the day never comes when we are asked to pay the ultimate price for any cause or for anyone. But in the meantime, seeking out the grievances 
of those who feel excluded, left out, and left behind, be it from the American dream that we all hold dear or the gospel of grace that holds all of us dear. It's a price worth paying. Because in paying that price, we are not only joining God in loving the world right again, it is the way that he loves us right again as well. Look, I don't know how Paul and Allie get Bo to brush his teeth. I only know they do because I know they love him. And so they are nurturing faith in him so that mighty works can be done in him and through him. And that begins with his faith in them. And that includes Bo airing his grievances. And it continues each and every day with how they play and pray with him, read to him and care for him. Love, love like that never fails. And Bo Knapp, God bless him, does, and I believe he always will, look up to his parents with a faith in them that will guide him toward a faith in the God of grace. Where are you now when darkness seems to win? Hey, look up, child.
Festivus. It begins with the airing of grievances. And how does it end? With feats of strength. I wonder if the two are somehow related, connected, maybe by love. One of the greatest feats of strength a human being can do is loving someone who doesn't share our grievances. The greatest feat of strength is to love them enough to die for them. And when we look to Jesus on the cross, this is exactly what we see. The Bible says on the cross, he looked up to God and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He airs his grievance. And then in a feat of strength and love like the world has never seen, he dies. And in doing so, saves the rest of us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this opportunity to be together. We lift up our country to you and we ask that you would have mercy on us. God, I pray that you would give us your heart to love one another like we belong to one another, like you've given us to one another. I pray that you would uh, give us the courage and the strength to seek out the grievances that we have with one another, especially with those who feel left out and left behind. And God, I pray that as we attempt to show that grace, that you would transform us by that same grace. As we log off this morning, God, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks. Hope to see you soon.